Hello. Hey. Hi. Tell folks who you are. Hey, this is Sam's Aunt Betty. And this is Betty's nephew, Sam. How are you, Betty? I'm good, thanks, Sam. How are you? I'm pretty good. You know, so usually we have you introduce the show and the themes and the guests. But for the second time now, we're going to mix it up because we're doing a special coronavirus episode this week. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, coronavirus has changed everything and it's changing the show right now. And we wanted to take some time this week just to see how coronavirus is affecting people differently. Right. So in this episode, we're going to dig into that, which made me wonder, like, what has coronavirus been like for you in Delaware? Well, I'm working from home, which is really great because I'm in a a classification that makes me at high risk. So I don't have to go out in it, but I do get out a couple of times a week uh, just to run errands. And I'm noticing that while there is still traffic out, there's not nearly the traffic that it was a few months ago. I think overall, I've seen a difference in how people are reacting. So what do you miss most as you're having to just spend so much more time at home? I, I really miss my church. I miss the getting together with the people at church because that was my circle, my friends and, you know, my squad and all of that. You know, I just feel kind of isolated sometimes. I can be at home. I'm okay being in my house. But I do miss the congregation meeting, getting with the people at church. Yeah. I think we found the biggest difference in our coronavirus experiences. You miss church. (laughs) I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have not been going. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) All right, you can uh, do the thing you always do now where you say, let's start the show. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend. In this episode, we're going to focus on how coronavirus is playing out differently all across the country and differently for different types of people. To do that, we're going to start by talking with two friends and colleagues, Kirk Siegler and Layla Fottle. They are both correspondents on NPR's National Desk. And Layla is covering coronavirus from Los Angeles. Kirk is covering it from Boise, Idaho. They're both here with me through the magic of technology. Hello to you both. Hey, Sam. Hi. How are you? Holding up, holding up. Every day's the same. <laughs> <laughs> what day is today? Who knows? What she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about the lay of the land uh, where y'all are. But first, I want to just get personal and just have you describe what coronavirus looks like for you. Like, is there a scene, a visual, something where you are that you see every day that kind of just sums up what coronavirus is in your place? Well, Sam, Boise, Idaho has marketed itself uh, over the last decade. Lots of people moving here to be able to telecommute and uh, the easy access to the outdoors. And uh, with Almost everything closed, including on my street, just a few blocks behind me, you go up to the trails and they are a zoo. And a lot of people kind of live in fear that uh, the mayor and other leaders will shut them down because there isn't a lot of social distancing, but it is the one thing to do right now. Wow. Especially in a mid-sized city like this where you haven't yet seen uh, the high volume uh, of known cases or the ERs being overwhelmed with COVID patients. Mm. And so, Layla, you're in Los Angeles. What are you seeing that really sums up what it's like here? 
Well, here the parks and beaches are closed, so we definitely see the people parked with the longing look at the beach that they're not allowed to go to. But for me, more, it's the grocery store. So you go to the grocery store, there are these very long lines where people are trying to socially distance, and then everybody's let in a few people at a time. And then sometimes one of the employees will come out and just announce what is not inside. So last time it was a woman being like, no beans, no rice. No toilet paper, no paper towels, no hand sanitizer, like all the essentials that you can think of. Wow. It's so weird to think of anything approaching food scarcity in Los Angeles, which is like, I don't know, we make so much food that the whole world eats. It's crazy. Yeah. So I want to dig into um, the rural-urban divide with coronavirus. And Kirk, let's start with you. You were telling me this week that probably the best way to see how coronavirus plays out in rural areas is to look at how coronavirus is affecting rural hospitals. That's right. I've been uh, tracking one here in rural Idaho. It's a 15-bed hospital. And these hospitals really had to ramp up to prepare for this coronavirus, which has been slow to arrive. And in some cases, fortunately, hasn't. But at the same time, they're, you know, hemorrhaging money because they're not making any money on clinic visits, outpatient procedures, all the other routine medical stuff. So it's kind of a great irony. And it's felt even more acutely, I think, in a small town where a hospital tends to be one of the largest employers and a lot of people don't have uh, much to fall back on. Yeah. So then if you are in a small town like that, where the hospital, which might be the biggest employer in your town, is laying off people, and you're sitting at home, not seeing too many new coronavirus cases in your town, uh, that probably makes you feel a certain kind of way, huh? Right. And I want to say it's not, you know, you can't lump all of rural America into one monolith. But, you know, there are... The virus has been slower to get here, uh, with the exception of some ski resort counties and some reservations here in the West. Um, And so when it's not right there in your face, and you're also seeing headline after headline about economic despair and a looming depression, you know, it's human nature to start to question and wonder if this was an overreaction, which I think is what you're seeing, which is just so much different than being in New York. I mean, I talked to a lot of people who uh, have said, look, we're not New York. We're not Los Angeles. Uh, We need to reopen. Uh, Maybe Mm. not all at once, but uh, this is not as bad out here as it is uh, in the coastal cities. Yeah. You know, it's hard to prognosticate on how any part of the country will really end up economically through all of this. But I could imagine that rural communities are being hit really, really hard. Um, What does it look like in some of those small towns where it's not just the hospital laying off staff, it's every other business, too? Uh, That's right. And uh, people in rural America presumably uh, could be you know, more isolated from this disease. However, on the other hand, most people have to go to work in other settings like a manufacturing facility, a lumber mill plant, a pork uh, processing plant where they have to work around other people. And a lot of those plants are still going. And so we're seeing reports of uh, Latino farm workers still working in the fields, uh, potentially at risk, but, you know, they have to. Yeah. Layla, you and I are both in Los Angeles, and I mean, you tell me how it feels for you, but whenever I am out on the streets, going to the grocery store, going for a jog, walking the dog, coronavirus feels very present. The streets are empty. There is no traffic here, which is strange. Everyone's wearing a mask. Lots of things are closed. I feel like in a big city, coronavirus just feels more present. Has that been your experience here in Los Angeles? 
Yeah, I mean, even on sort of the walks that you'll take, whether it's the isolated walk on your own or the walk to the grocery store, you see the signs in the windows, we will survive this, closed for COVID-19, the graffiti that's now referencing stay-at-home orders, Um, this idea of surviving but also fully isolation. And and cities are often lonelier Mm. places, so people might be suffering in silence. And so this, this sense of isolation where you live in an apartment building and you probably don't know your neighbor because people keep their doors closed and so that loneliness um, might be deeper even though there are more people but also the spread might be faster because it's more densely populated yeah 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 i want to ask you both about a parallel between cities and rural areas and really everywhere across the country uh perhaps the biggest division with coronavirus uh, is the rich and poor divide, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we have been seeing stories for weeks now about how this disease can affect you in your life based on your income. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that's come into the most sharp focus when reporting on this pandemic. If you have, and if you have a lot, you can do a lot, right? And so I think of that story early on about the Utah Jazz team being able to get a bunch of tests while the rest of Utah couldn't get a test. And the divide is deepened now because more people are falling in to poverty every single day with this. Um, And so I was at a testing site actually recently, an antibody testing site where three doctors were trying to get telehealth and tests to communities that usually don't get those services. And I was talking to this doctor, an ER doctor here in Los Angeles, Nana Afua Afomanen, and she's done a lot of work in Haiti and other places, and she said, we have to get services to the underserved. Those are the communities that are going to have the outsized impact, and that's already shown itself, right? There's a racial inequity. African Americans getting sicker, dying more um, than white Americans, and that's shown nationally. And here in Los Angeles, 16% of deaths are African American. Only 9% of the population is African American. And this doctor said, well, that's that's the thing that always happens with health. But it's not just the poor. It's also the people who are becoming poor. Mm -hmm. And so you talk to these small business owners, and one business owner I spoke to told me, you know, what's going to happen once we're out of this, what does post-pandemic look like? Is it the 1% and then the fully desolate? Does the middle class and even the upper middle class disappear? And so those are questions on people's minds. I have been thinking about this so much, Layla, just to get really local in LA here. A thing that I've been doing in social distancing is like picking a new neighborhood every weekend to have a long walk with the dog. And I like to go to rich, fancy neighborhoods and look at all the houses I can't afford. Mm -hmm. So I was in San Marino a few days ago, and then I went to Hancock Park. I walk through there, and it looks like everyone's on staycation. The windows are open. Everyone's cooking dinner together in their big kitchens. You hear music. You see parents with their kids on bicycles on the street. Everyone seems really happy, and like this is not hurting them at all. And then you compare that to other parts of this city. You know, I live not too far from Skid Row, and it's an entirely different story. You know, this disparity is on such big display, and it's hard to overstate how, for some people who have enough money, coronavirus is not a problem for them at all. It's interesting. One of the tensions that's played out here in more rural areas is the people of means who have second, third, fourth homes in Jackson Hole, mm-hmm. Wyoming, Sun Valley, Aspen mm-hmm. are flying in from or have been flying in or traveling in from California, from Seattle, from New York. 
and possibly bringing cases with them. Exactly, of coronavirus. exactly. And we don't have a real handle on that yet because we haven't uh, tested. But there's just a lot of inequities, even in yeah. um, rural areas. Oh yeah. Also. Just the people who have to work. Oh, yeah. You know, there is a luxury to working from home. All three of us can work from home. And there is a lot of people talking about our heroes on the front lines, but a lot of people didn't sign up to risk their lives and die Mm -hmm. on the front lines to deliver groceries or to provide medical care. And so it is a lot about protection and protection for everyone and who, who gets to have protection. And those are big questions that you're hearing among regular people, among politicians, And a lot of that is also about socioeconomics. A lot of that is also about race. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that everyone should stop saying about coronavirus, we're all in this together. Maybe we are, but we're all in this together in very different ways. And people are experiencing this thing differently based on their circumstances. And any comprehensive coverage of this thing has to take those things into account. Uh, All right. Kirk Siegler and Layla Fottle, thank you for giving us a perspective uh, on coronavirus from across the country. We're going to take a break now, and after the break, we'll hear from a bunch of listeners telling us firsthand how they experience coronavirus, where they live. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Thanks, Kirk and Layla. Thank you. Is that it? Well, say goodbye, Kirk. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. I don't need you to say, is that it? <laughs> is Go that on a break. Am I done? <laughs> <laughs> This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit betterhelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. Support also comes from Best Fiends. Have more time on your hands? Connect with family and friends and engage your brain with fun puzzles by downloading Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game with over 100 million downloads. The game is updated monthly, so there are always new levels to play, events to master, and cute characters to collect. And you can play without an internet connection. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Hey, it's Guy Raz from NPR's How I Built This. And each week on the show during this unprecedented crisis, I'll be asking some of the top founders and builders how they're dealing with the economic impact of the coronavirus and hear about some of the ways they're pivoting to fight it. Subscribe or listen now to How I Built This. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. In this episode, we're talking about how coronavirus is different for different people based on who you are, where you live, how much money you make, a lot of different things. So we got an email earlier this week from a listener who wanted to share her story, a story that maybe a lot of folks haven't dealt with yet, but one they might deal with soon with this pandemic. She gave us a voice memo. The thing that I'm dealing with is that I found out on Friday night that I, in all likelihood, um, gave someone the virus who went on to die from the virus. Her coworker. She can't know for sure, but it's a real worry. And it happened in mid-March, she told us, days before a lot of the country went into total lockdown mode. At that time, folks were still going to work, and she says she and her colleague were working closely together before she even began to feel symptoms. After that, she tested positive for COVID-19. And then last week, 
In a work email, she found out that her colleague had died from the virus. So obviously we don't know that I gave it to him, but... Um, and that email sent to the two or 300 people in my office means that everybody reading that um, probably has come to the same conclusion. And I was very public about being sick with my office because I wanted people to know. Um, I know that there are a million systemic issues that are to blame. I know that I could not have known I was sick. But it's something that I'm dealing with that if things had been different, if I hadn't worked that shift, if I'd worn a mask, which nobody was really doing at that time, maybe this person would still be alive. Um, So we're not going to use her name to respect her privacy and the privacy of her late colleague and his family. But we did call her up this week just to see how she's doing since she heard the news. When you read the email, what are the first things going through your head? How do you feel in those first moments? Um, I felt really guilty, I think. Um, I also felt a little scared about how people might react. And I felt sad for this person and for their family. And I don't know, I just sort of felt like shocked, you know, because I had no idea that there was even a possibility that I had infected this person. And and then to kind of find out all of these things at once was very shocking. Yeah. How close were you with your colleague who passed? Did you know him very well? Not very. Um, he was somebody that I worked with maybe two or three days a month. But um, he was very quiet, very kind, um, and he would always give me a hard time about my handwriting, which is terrible, so that's very fair. (laughs) Um, But in, like, a funny way, not in a mean way. Um, He was one of the people when you walked in the shift and saw him sitting there, you were glad that it was him. Mm. How long has it been now since you found out about his death? Um, That was just Friday night, so... Um, so less than a week still. Long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the lowest moment? Definitely Friday night. What happened Friday night? Um, I think I just felt really shocked and sad. And then I got so many emails and text messages and phone calls from coworkers who had read the same email and said, oh, are you okay? Or don't blame yourself. And... It was obviously so nice and so kind, but it also was just overwhelming to have all of these people reaching out sort of in that moment. And I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. Like, I think so many of the other parts of this whole thing, it's like there's a roadmap for how you're supposed Mm. to feel or Mm -hmm. and there just wasn't for this. Yeah. You know, there is the potential, though, that you didn't infect him. I suppose that might make it even harder. It's like, you know, if you have a car accident and the other person dies, you know it was you. Yeah. But this, you'll never really know. Yeah, so the thing that has been, that has made me feel better in a way is for me to just be able to say out loud, like, the most likely scenario is that I was the reason he got sick. And 
Um, there's nothing I can do to change that. I didn't know I was sick. I couldn't have known I was sick. I can't blame myself. So accepting it as true mm. is almost the easiest thing for me. Mm. I'm really intrigued as to why you reached out. I think there probably are a lot of people who might be going through the same situation either now or later. They're not going to call an NPR show and ask to tell their story. <laughs> this is very brave of you. Why did you do it? <laughs> well, I think um, that if we can all figure out ways to process these things and to be kind to each other and to know that it is okay to talk about these parts of it um, that maybe it'll be easier for other people too. Thanks again to that listener for sharing her story. It's time for a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from more listeners around the country and the world talking about how coronavirus is affecting them. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. We live in a culture that prizes action. But now, former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says it's important to make space to just be. Simply spending five minutes just listening to the birds chirping or to the conversation around you. Solitude and ways to overcome loneliness on the next Hidden Brain from NPR. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. For the last few weeks, we have asked you all to tell us in voice memos how you're holding up, what you've been up to, what brings you joy, what you're missing, basically how you're living through coronavirus. So in place of our best thing segment this week, we are going to just take a listen to all those recordings, those coronavirus time capsules you all sent us. Okay, let's hear it. My name is Addie. I live in Juneau, Alaska. And right now, I'm walking on an island just across the channel from Juneau called Portland Island. Those birds you hear are apparently called oyster catchers, and they're pretty annoying. They've been yelling all morning. Hey, this is Burns from Orlando. I am currently in the postpartum room in the hospital. My wife and I were so fortunate we had a little baby boy on April 13th, which was also my birthday. Um, unfortunately, he has been in the NICU since Monday as well. The NICU is only allowing one visitor at a time. Um, you know, these rules aren't my favorite, but I totally get why they're in place. They're for the greater good. Just, you know, not, not the most fun situation to go through right now. This is Emily from Illinois. What's your name? Um, Livy. Livy, and what do you want to play? Um, um, hide and seek. Hide and seek? All right, go hide. Come. <laughs> I'm Ann Rodeman. I'm in Washington Heights, and Damien just sent me a Zoom from his Premier account because he is my friend who pays for things. Bless him. Uh, I'm Damien Bellino. I'm in Harlem, New York. We are about 60 blocks away, but we haven't seen each other in exactly a month. A month to the day. What I want 
to watch when this is all over. Yeah. I want to watch Jumping Jack Flash, directed by Penny, Penny Marshall. Marshall. Oh, come on. But, like, also, I know there are ways for us to watch it together over Netflix party or whatever, but I don't want to partake in that. It's not the same visceral experience of you and I, like, having seven martinis each and then, like, going to town, screaming at each other um, and freeze-framing Whoopi Goldberg. I know. This is Amy. I live in Marina Del Rey, California. I'm currently standing on the beach. I'm right at the shore as the water's coming in. It's quite a windy day, so you'll probably hear a lot of wind, but hopefully you can also hear the rhythm of the waves as they come in. was some of the sounds of me slicing my homemade sourdough because like so many other people during this pandemic quarantine time I decided it'd be a good idea to get into sourdough bread baking it makes me feel satisfied and fulfilled in a way that I'm not really able to get otherwise during quarantine where's spot <coughs> that spot he hasn't eaten his supper where can he be? Is he behind the door? No! No, that's a bear. Is he inside the clock? No! No, that's a snake. I'm trying to be happy and pretend it's a normal day and it's just a weekend or summer break, but I just can't. I have schoolwork to do. I have to deal with my backyard. I have to deal with my baby cousin, Maddie. <sighs> um, I really miss travel and I really miss being outside and going out for long walks and um, being with other people. And I'm just and, missing uh, the reward of an icy and a nice large popcorn with butter and jalapenos. And, and something I really miss is just hearing all the people in my neighborhood walking around, and I'm just excited for there to be life again. I'm sitting here in my backyard taking a rest after working all day here on my lawn in Nampa, Idaho. And I'm just taking a minute or two to think about a hospital that's being torn down. It's probably 50 years old. But I pause to think about all the folks that I knew that started life there, including my daughters. And then unfortunately, and all too sad, I recall the folks that finished their journey there. So I think it's important to remember these things. Um, the beginnings and the conclusions. Uh, that's my thought. Don't mean to be too depressing, but that's my thought. Hi, this is Katie Hyman from Long Beach, California. I had to be in isolation for six days to rule out COVID, and thankfully I'm healthy. 
but I'm sitting outside right now in the sunshine, listening to my kids laugh and bounce on the trampoline, and I'm just feeling really grateful. Hey, Sam, it's Ashley from OKC, and I'm listening to You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman with my mom, her favorite song. Say hi, Mom. Hello, how are you doing today? We are here bunking in our house, and I make sure she stays good. She makes sure I stay good. And right now, we'll listen to a little Aretha. You want to give it to her, Mama? Uh, but I don't need to do more. Cause you, you make, make me feel. feel, yeah. You, you make, make me feel. You make, make me feel like a natural woman. Oh, give him a baritone then. Oh, with my soul. Thanks, Sam. This is Danny in Baltimore. I uh, have been working from home for, I think, four weeks now. And every day around noon, I take what I've been calling a sanity walk. I just kind of walk around a block and try to clear my head. And today it's a little windy and rainy, but... This is the sound of that. Hey Sam, this is Erin in Boise, Idaho. I've been self-isolating for about five weeks now, just me and my cat. And this, this is the sound of her snoring. having a good dream. <laughs> My name's Peter. I live in Nuego, Michigan, and I'm watching the sunset over a sphagnum bog. Hello, Sam. This is Karina from the Galapagos Islands. And I am sending you the noises from my farm at night. Due to the pandemic, um, my workers can no longer come. So the work has been left for only my husband and me to do. It's been a lot of work. And we also have to care for the children, clean the house, and try to rest in between. So we've had to work at night. And the beauty of all this is that it's made me reconnect with my skies, my constellations, that I'm a bit embarrassed to recognize that I did not appreciate or see or understand. And now I, I am admiring them every night. And also the noises and the wildlife and the different bugs that I've discovered. It's like becoming a kid again. 
Hey Sam, this is Susan from Wisconsin. Last week I had the privilege of sitting with a patient who was at end of life as a hospice chaplain and singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And as I sang, she sang along with me and smiled broadly. Her daughter said it was one of the last times she related to the outside world. I love my work, and in these days of the pandemic, I rarely get to be with my patients in person, so it touches my heart those times I'm able to be with them and see them and look in their eyes. Hi, it's Dr. Jeff calling from New York. I was driving home from my shift in the ER last week when I heard the segment where listeners are encouraged to share the best things that have happened to them during the past week. The best part of my week was getting a FaceTime call from my mom, who's been in the hospital for 12 days with COVID-19. There have been so many teary moments over the past few weeks, mostly from sadness, stories of healthcare workers who have passed, stories of family members of friends and colleagues who have passed. Each life lost calls for a moment of reflection and tears of sadness. And this morning at 5.30 a.m., she felt good enough to talk to me on FaceTime, so I gladly took that call. Still, when I heard that one woman's story of how her mother called her after getting off the ventilator, I started to cry. Because each life saved also calls for a moment of celebration and tears of joy. Hey Sam, this is Isabella. During these times of solitude and reflection, I've really been thinking a lot on my past year. I lost my dad exactly seven months ago today, and it has been a really tough time for me and my family. Days following his death, I remember wanting the world to stop, even if just for a week. And here we are, a global arbitrary halt with nothing to do with me or my grief. I've used this time to heal, try to come to terms with my loss, and being extremely grateful for my resilient family, my health, and above all, all the love I'm surrounded with. This is Erica in Boulder, Colorado, and at eight o'clock at night, people in Boulder are going outside and howling and I came out onto my balcony to see if I could hear anybody. I could hear a few people. I don't know if you can hear them. They're really far away, but I'm gonna join in. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who sent in that audio. And of course, thanks again to producer Janae West, who put it all together. Listeners, as you can tell, we love to hear from you all the time. You can reach out to us in many different ways. I'm on social media at at Sam Sanders. And you can email the show whenever you want with audio, video, 
pet photos, baby photos, anything at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Hafsa Fatima. Thanks to our engineers for this episode, Patrick Murray and Gilly Moon. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this show. Stay safe. Keep your head up. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. <laughs>